Chapter 5 They said little to one another on the ride from Jenner's mansion to the watch guard post. When they arrived, Jenner asked Christian if he should return after a certain time to pick him up. Christian declined, saying that he promised he would either have the watch escort him back or take a carriage. This seemed to placate Jenner's concern, who said he had to go see Gregory about some business concerning the rat and that he would see him back at his house later. Christian thought the building would have felt somehow different with all that had happened, but it did not. Same old structure of stone and wood. When he came through the front door, all eyes fell on him. He sighed and made his way through it, accepting sorrows and sympathy and thanks and words of, and words of courage about how great a man his father was or had been. He was a great man, Christian, one of the best. Watch won't be the same without him. Used to patrol some nights just for the sake of it. He'll be sorely missed. Christian nodded and shook hands. He already knew everything they told him, but they were grieving much the same, so he could not feel too embarrassed for the attention. He was told his father's body would be laid to rest in the cemetery of Elm's Evangeline Church in accordance with Watt's tradition. He asked to see the body. They explained it was already wrapped and prepped for burial, to which Christian said it would be fine, it was just something he needed to do. It was easier than he thought it would be. He had seen corpses prepared for a funeral before. It did not seem like his dad at all. He did not feel the need to cry or yell or anything. He stood there in silence, lying one hand on the chest of the corpse. Back in the main office, he was given a small sum of money by the watch. Some was from money his dad was owed, some chipped in by the fellows at the watch when they found out the full gravity of the situation. Some offered him a place to stay, even that they would turn one of the spare rooms into a bed if he wanted. He could stay at the watch, but he explained that he was staying with a friend and that it would not be necessary. When he asked to see his mother, the faces around him grew even more grim. Morin stepped forward and told Christian to follow him. They went up to the third floor, where the questioning rooms were, the barracks, and the physician's office. Morin went with Christian into the room, but within moments Christian knew this would not be the same as his dad, and was and asked to be left alone. This was his mother. If he did not already know what was wrong, he would have thought she was just sleeping. Her face had color to it, and the sheets on the bed rose and fell with her breathing. Her eyes were closed, but she murmured, as if in a nightmare. A few times he whispered mother, as he had so many times at home, to rouse her from sleep, but there was nothing forthcoming. He felt his eyes get damp, and he knelt at the side of the bed, holding her hand in his, and cried, letting his head rest on the bed by her side. He felt panic, and alone for the first time. He tried to comprehend the situation, but it felt unbearable. She felt fine, she felt alive, but she was not. The physician had told him before entering what it would be like, but nothing prepared him for the real thing. He had asked if she could hear people, and the doctor said he did not know. I can't say that she can't hear you, the doctor said trying to cover the skepticism in his voice. So, Christian told her how he loved her, missed her, and felt like there was so much he wanted to ask her, but could not. That he did not know if he was doing the right thing, but he did not know what else to do, and he had to do something or else he would go crazy. And that he felt he could catch the people responsible, with Jenner and Erica's help. That when it was all over, he would come back, and if she had not already recovered, then he would find a way to fix that, too. And through it all, he worked out the tears and the pain he had been focusing on. Then he sat down and wrote out everything he had just said, using the paper and quill at the physician's desk. He took the note, folded it up, and slid it into the pocket of her skirt, just in case she could not hear him. Then he kissed her goodbye, 
and left. Well, sir, is it good news or bad news? I don't reckon to know what good news is in this situation, Jenner, Gregory said, stepping up into the carriage. True enough, out with it then, Jenner said, taking the offered ledger from Gregory as he made himself comfortable in the back seat. Well, about all of the crew has already taken off. Well, to be expected, they make the least and can't wait around for another project on a whim, especially a project that might burn down. Of the rest, I can't find Jacob, Valerie, or Frederick, Gregory stated, taking his gloves off, rubbing his scarred hands together a little, massaging the joints. Anyone know where they went? Jenner said, though he had a pretty good idea who, if anyone, among those three would sell out information. Someone mentioned Frederick had always been entertaining the idea of joining the circus. A number of others chimed in to agree. But Jacob and Valerie left in the morning. Didn't say nothing to no one, far as I could tell. Well, those two, I'm going to have to say it's Valerie, Jenner said, looking out the window, seeing a few storm clouds blowing in. Jacob, of memory serves, lives in town, and his parents do quite well. And he never really voiced any complaints or worries. The job was more enjoyment for him. Valerie, however, had a few chips on her shoulder. Valerie, the name does sound familiar, Gregory mentioned, scratching his head with his right hand. Yeah, I'd be surprised if you didn't know it, Jenner sighed, rolling his eyes before yawning and stretching, as if to find the right position. I don't think there was a week since she came on that there wasn't some scuffle or tantrum I had to massage. If she hadn't a voice that would rival a siren and looks to match, I dare say I would have tolerated it. Ah, right now I remember, Gregory said, smiling. Wasn't she Jenny's, uh, second or something? Uh, understudy, Jenner explained. She wanted the lead in the last play, but there was more speeches and monologues than dance and song, so I gave it to Jenny. I had thought it odd that day when Jenny ran into the trouble in the alleyway. She swore up, down, and sideways that she couldn't think of any reason they would have been looking for her, and riffraff usually isn't a problem in the back lot. But Jenny was also one of the survivors from that night of the fire. She had a few ladies between her and the explosion, apparently. She said it was a sheer stroke of luck that she survived. You think the rat was set on fire to kill Jenny? Gregory said, looking uncertain. No, not likely. And anyway, I dare say Valerie wouldn't have the money for a plan of that undertaking. Well then, why do you think whoever it was that blew up the rat wanted Jenny dead? I don't think that's the case all, either. Gregory stopped scratching his head, peering up at the ceiling. He was a humble man, who could handle a dog or a horse better than most, but this cloak and dagger stuff made his head hurt. Jenny wasn't in the bathroom by coincidence, at least not from what I can tell. She told me after that she was trying to get wine out of her dress that Valerie had spilled on it when a tray had slipped from her hand. I don't follow, sir. It still sounds like she was planning to kill her. Let me set the scene for you, Gregory. When Valerie isn't working here, she spends some nights singing in bars around Calment. I'm guessing one of her patrons approached her about information on when someone would be in the restroom. Maybe one of the nobles, maybe Chris's mother, I don't really know the parts at this point. But someone either important or rich, or both. They offer Valerie a large sum of money for said information and tell her to steer clear of the restroom. Assuming all of that is roughly right, then I think this job was carried off by someone fairly new to this type of work because any trained killer would have either done it themselves or set it up so their accomplice was killed in the fire as well, thus making it harder to tie it back to them. And Valerie herself was pretty smart, or at least pretty opportunistic. If she knew something was going to happen in the bathroom, something big enough that she shouldn't be near it, then getting Jenny in there by spilling a little wine on her isn't exactly the hardest idea to come up with. You seem to already have this figured out. I don't see why you needed me to check the names in the first place, Gregory said, blinking his eyes, surprised. Gregory, you played a very important part. It was only a hunch, but I had to be sure. 
And if she hadn't fled, I didn't want to be the face that turned up down there, lest the culprit decide to leave after I'd already put them in the clear. As he spoke, Jenner pulled out a thin notebook from inside one of his coat pockets and began to page through it. Though Gregory swore that Jenner turned more pages than the book seemed capable of holding. Let me see, let me see, Jenner mused, running a finger across an open page. Here we go. Valerie Kalin, age 19, youngest of three sisters, mother and father live in Clydescliff, moved to Calment, age 17. Worked as a barmaid for about a year before a barkeep she slept with suggested she try her voice at singing. Gregory's eyes went large, leaning back in his seat. Remind me, sir, never to get on your bad side, Gregory said, gesturing at the book. Oh, Gregory, I think you have the wrong idea. This isn't a collection of secrets I have on people I'm worried about, he said, flipping another few pages. It's a collection of secrets on anyone I know. Let's see here. Gregory Knightsmith, age 32, oldest of two brothers. Younger brother Jeffrey drowned in the lake while fishing with some friends at age 10. Mother Sarah lives in Calment, divorced. Father, Gran, lives in Brenton, Arcturus. Lord's alive, man. I didn't even know where my father was, Gregory said in a mixture of awe and terror. Oh, really? I believe I have his place of residence in here if you ever want to visit. Christian had returned to Jenner's house in good time after his trip. Erica was still asleep when he got back, so he decided to give Black and Sky a good polish. Jamie and Rachel checked in on them from time to time, brought dinner, and chatted for a little bit. When Erica woke up, she said she was sorry for being so emotional earlier and was just having trouble dealing with everything. Christian said she had nothing to apologize for. She had decided that there was a chance Annika was alive somewhere that she wanted to help. Christian explained that he had gone to see his parents while she was asleep, and that if she wanted to see them as well, then she should do it soon. They made arrangements with Miss Fensworth to have a carriage take them off to the house to the watch. This visit was much quicker. Less people were about at the place at night, the majority of the men out on patrol. They went upstairs to see Anne, whose condition had not changed in the hour since Christian had seen her. Erica told her how she was happy that they had taken her in, and wished for her to get better, and promised to keep an eye on Christian for while she was away. Away. Christian had wondered over that, like she was just going to come back one day. Maybe it was that simple. He wanted to hope so. On the ride back, Christian asked Erica if she wanted to stop at the Lum. It was an inn that they passed to and from washing clothes, and had always had the most amazing smells coming from it. It was located in a part of the city that would normally be out of his family's living means. But since he had a bit of coin now, and Jenner said he was more than willing to care for them, he could at least treat Erica to a meal there if she wanted. She smiled and said yes. The dinner at the Lum was not the amazing feast they thought it would be. It was not bad, and the place was nice, but it did not come close to Otzi's cooking. They also felt out of place. Although they were dressed in outfits of a higher stature, they did not feel the part. There were too many pieces of silverware, and they got odd looks when they ate with their fingers. Halfway through the meal, Christian asked the waitress to wrap up what she could of their meal, and that they would be on their way. The sun was down by the time they were back in the carriage. The night air had a slight chill to it, and Christian lent Erica his jacket to keep warm. They talked little on the ride back. When they arrived, they offered the driver the leftovers, who declined, saying he would rather raid the kitchen, and they couldn't argue with that. Christian and Erica waited in the foyer for the driver, and then the three of them made their way to the kitchen to see what was about. Otzi was still there, doing some odd chores about the place. They told him about their failed trip to the Lum for dinner, to which he said that the Lum was where people with money went to spend it to feel important, but not the best eatery in the city. He took the leftover bag from them, 
sniffing it as one might a ripe diaper, then disposed of it. They learned Jenner had not yet returned from his afternoon affairs. Erica was a bit nervous, but Atsi assured her this was completely within the normal acts of Jenner. She should not worry about enemies in the night quite yet. The driver thanked Atsi for the fine meal and let himself out, leaving the three of them. They talked most of the night away, Christian and Erica helping him clean up the kitchen. He told them about his homeland. He came from the southern empire, Milan, from the capital, Karanzan. His family had established itself through the use of magic, a fair number of Majir having come from his mother's bloodline. Atsi had shown no such aptitude, however. His sisters had all shown signs of the gift early on, while it never came to Atsi. So he found himself staying at home, helping his mother's staff prepare meals and do the daily house chores. He told them how he never had much interest in the magical world, which was unusual, as the Majir blood flowed strong through the Milan Empire. On his 18th birthday, he had been sold to a slave trade. Although they were shocked, Atsi felt indifferent about the whole situation. He said it was quite common for large families to sell off some of their children, ones who showed no skill with the warrior's sword and the Majir's weave. In fact, it had been at this slave auction where he had been purchased by Jenner's grandmother. She had been searching for a foreign influence for the kitchen, as she had said she had long grown tired of the northern fare and dishes. He had worked for the repulsed family for 42 years, until the day when Jenner took over the household. Jenner said he had no need for a slave, and that if Atsi wanted, he would give him money and that he could go back home if he wished. But by that time, Atsi had no desire to re or reason to return home. His family would no doubt have forgotten him. Atsi surmised that he had been treated better as a slave than as a son. So instead, Jenner said if he was to stay, then he would be staff, appointed all the responsibilities, board, and pay that came with it. Atsi had laughed at that, who did not know what he would do with all of this money. So Jenner taught him how to invest it, and over the next ten years, Atsi could have afforded to live the rest of his life on his own, as long as he was not too free with his money. But, over all of those years, having lived three times as long with the repulsed family and their helpers, he felt like he was already home. He had become quite good friends with Cairnsby, Gregory, and Madeline. He cared for them more than any relative he had ever grown up with. He had lived all of his best years of his life here, and he had many memories to show for it. And if it was up to him, he planned on dying here as well, whenever the great von Zonk felt time to call him home. Christian asked who this von Zonk was, having never heard the name, and Atsi explained that in Milan there were many gods revered by the people. One of those gods was Von Zonk, the god of luck and destiny. Christian did not understand why Atzi, who had been sold into slavery and been deemed useless by his people, would follow one of their gods still. Atzi thought for a moment, then said that it was his belief that because he was born the way that he was, that Von Zonk had a different role in life for him. That while, yes, he had been sold and thought less of, he would have never found his way to Calmet, to the house he now called home, and the life that made him happy, without Von Zonk. And that maybe it was because of his shortcomings from birth that Von Zonk had foreseen to send him here, to be happy for the rest of his years. Erica nodded and smiled, saying that it seemed very sweet, while Christian sat deep in thought, thinking it over. His father had never put any faith in any god, and Christian had thought that made the most sense. He did not know many people who believed in one or many gods. Christian asked Atzi what he thought of the one god, the ancient god that many people on the continent used to follow before the Great Divide. I do not know what to think of these other gods, for I do not know them. But they disappeared long before you or I were alive. But those that still believe, I do not doubt their god answers their prayer still. 
The clock outside the kitchen tolled, signaling two in the morning. Christian yawned, but swore he was in for the long haul. To which Otzi pointed out that as far as tonight was concerned, the long haul was probably at an end. Erica had a glass of milk, while Christian helped Otzi put away the last few remaining things. Miss Fensworth came into the kitchen, ready for bed herself, but had noticed the children were not in the guest room and had gone searching the house for them. Christian and Erica said goodnight to Otzi, and promised they would stop in again sometime to hear more of his stories. Jenner was still not back, but Mrs. Fensworth said it was not uncommon for him to be gone all night, not coming back for several days, and that they should stop thinking of what happened in terms of the fire. Jenner had plenty of run-ins with criminal elements in the past, and he would no doubt have many more, and he changed his schedule for none of them. Feeling better, Erica returned to bed, and Christian pulled up his blankets on the floor, and the two of them were fast asleep. Mm. Ah, madame, how fortunate. I feared I wouldn't catch you at home. Jenner smiled, grabbing the door and forcing it open when the woman inside seemed hesitant to let him in. <sighs> Jenner, I hadn't expected, the girl mumbled, fixing her hair, backing up to a table, finding herself sitting down in a chair. Valerie, I'm hurt, truly, Jenner said, holding his hands to his heart as if he had been stabbed. Gregory moved in behind him, closing the door replacing the latch, and turning the key that had been left in the lock, pocketing it. Surely you thought I wouldn't forget about my second leading lady. In fact, you've been in my thoughts constantly over the last few days, he pressed forward until he was standing in front of her. He looked around the small room, which was in disarray. Clothes were in piles, and various bags were in several stages of packing. A number of coins were scattered on the table. I never took you for a penny pincher, Val. Well, there must be several hundred gold coins here on the table. You must live on breadcrumbs and sew your own clothes. Valerie reached across the table, sweeping the gold into a sack that was half open. Oh, you know how it is, she said. Her voice shook and she kept looking at the coin or the floor, not looking up to meet Jenner's gaze. You do an odd job here, a little singing there. It, it all adds up. What was my theater worth, Val? Tell me you've spent most of it, because I can't believe you sold me out. The rat, and the people who work for you, for so little. He grabbed the bag by the bottom and hoisted it over the table, coins spilling out, scattering across the table and onto the floor. I mean, what is this? Maybe a thousand gold? At least tell me you spent the other thousands. I want you to leave. You have no right to be here. Gregory, Jenner said. The man stepped forward, pulling a knife from inside his vest. He flipped it over in his hand once, smiling at Valerie. You, you wouldn't dare, she whimpered, but the fear in her voice lent doubt to her words. Gregory went over to a pile of clothes, dresses, and began cutting them into pieces. What do you think you're... She screamed, trying to get up again, but getting shoved back by Jenner. When Gregory finished with the pile on the bed, he moved to, the, to one of the piles on the floor. Stop! stop what, what do you want? Stop! Valerie moaned, looking at the ruined clothes. Gregory did not stop. He picked up the closest dress and tore it in half, neckline to skirt. Make him stop, she yelled at Jenner. You make him stop, he replied. A strand of pearl sewn into one of the outfits broke, the bobbles bouncing and rolling across the floor. Val sobbed, blinking her eyes, watching her dresses torn asunder. Please, miss, I was not born yesterday. I hired you for your voice, and your acting is quite poor enough to see it for what it is, Jenner lamented, watching her. You self-righteous son of a... she said, her voice flipping from tears to anger. Gregory made his way over to a third pile. Seven hundred. Okay, seven hundred, 
That's what you and your theater was worth to me, she said. Jenner shook his head. So little, Val. So little, Jenner said, turning his eyes back to her. Ugh, to the hollers with you and your manservant, she said. She spit at Jenner, aiming for his face but hitting his shirt. He pulled a handkerchief from his breast pocket and wiped it off before returning it to his pocket. You hear that, Gregory? You're my manservant, he smiled, looking back at Gregory. Always wanted a promotion, sir, Gregory said, coming to stand next to Jenner. What? What? You want money? You want to throw me in jail? She asked, crossing her legs, sitting back, regarding the two of them. Nothing of the sort, my dear. I want to know who paid you. Huh, <laughs> you're crazy. I tell you who paid me and they'll kill me. Jenner leaned in, smiling. Valerie, my dear, if you don't tell me who paid you, I won't kill you, but you'll wish I had. Gregory raised the knife again, pointing the tip toward Valerie. You do and I'll scream, she said, terrified. Um, you'll forgive me, dear, if I think that screams coming from your room are not exactly going to rouse the neighbor's suspicion. He gave Gregory a nod, who put one hand around her neck and brought the knife up to her face, leveling the blade to her right eyelid. He pressed until a line of blood dripped down her brow. Gregory looked at Jenner, holding his hand steady. Oh, okay, wait, stop. It was a guy named Malcolm, she sputtered, trying to keep her voice level against the panic in her throat. I met him at the holdfast. He said he liked singing. She looked at Jenner, desperate. Jenner made a motion for her to continue. We, we saw each other off and on and for a few months. Then, a couple days ago, he asked if I wanted to make some good money, some real money. And, let me guess, you turned him down and told him you'd rather do something that makes less money? Jenner mused. Piss off. Anyway, I said yes. And he said his boss needed an accident to happen at the Rat. All I had to do was tell him when some broad went into the restroom. Who? Oh, I don't know. Some rich peacock, Beline. Uh, Geneve Beline. All I had to do was let Malcolm know when she went in the ladies' room. And while you were at it, you figured what? Since I'm already throwing my life away for murder, trying to off one more person wouldn't matter? Are you going to kill me? Send me off to the watch? Because at this point, either of those would be preferable to listen to you run your mouth. Oh, I'll be turning you in, Jenner said. I guess what I want to ask you is, how long do you want to rot in jail? Valerie looked perplexed. Gregory withdrew the knife, standing up and moving back behind Jenner. I want you to help me find this Malcolm so I can talk to him. If you do that, I'll tell the watch you helped to correct the error of your ways. You're a woman, so you probably wouldn't get racked anyway. But life in prison isn't hard to imagine. Do some good, and you might not lose all of your remaining years. Valerie sighed, looking around the room, then back to the two men standing before her. Do I have any other choice? You always have a choice, my dear, Jenner said. Valerie rolled her eyes, but shrugged. She could try to run for it, but thought that the man with the knife would gut her, given half the chance. She got up, seeing if Jenner would shove her back down. She lifted her arms forward, together, wrists upright, toward Jenner. He smirked. I'm not arresting you, my dear. Anyway, it would look suspicious, and why would I even have anything to bind you with in the first place? Now, let's go. With that, he directed her toward the door, guiding her in front of him. Wait, what about my things? What, are you expecting visitors? I'll have someone come and collect them. I doubt they'll let you I'll I doubt they'll let you keep them in jail. They exited the room, making their way downstairs to the carriage. Valerie's shoulders slumped as she watched Jenner open the door. He just smiled, gesturing for her to climb in. She took a seat, fidgeting a little. Jenner closed the door after her, then secured the lock on the outside so that she would not be tempted to throw herself out. He looked in through one of the barred windows and waved to her, smiling. 
She gave him a less-than-ladylike gesture, then crossed her arms and sat, brooding. Jenner made his way around to the front of the carriage, where Gregory was already waiting, reins in hand. When Jenner was seated, he gave a slight tug, sending the horses into motion. They rode in silence for a few moments before Jenner turned and gave Gregory a disbelieving look. Gregory made a sidelong glance, and after a few moments... "'What, you think you're the only one with acting chops?' he said in a rough voice, turning his head away a little. "'You had me convinced,' Jenner said. "'That part about cutting up the dresses was brilliant.' "'Thank you, sir. "'I must ask, though. "'You have me curious. "'Why the eye?' "'Oh, in all those plays you put on, "'it always seems like they always threaten a woman "'by putting a knife to their bosom. "'The eye just filmed, just seemed creepier. "'I mean, really, who gets stabbed in the eye? "'Seems a lot more to lose than a little cut to the chest. "'What would you have done if I had told you to kill her?' "'Well, you'd never say that, sir.' Well, that's not the point. Well, I reckon I would have had to improvise. Jenner looked at the man in blank surprise before chuckling. <laughs> My dear man, you should consider a life in the theater. Never that, sir. Why not? You don't like the work, the hours, the attention? Don't mind none of those things, sir. Then what? It's the dame, sir, he said, motioning behind him with his hand. Theater broads are crazy. An old man walking home from the bar looked up as the coach passed by, at the well-dressed man laughing so hard he had to hold his seat to keep from falling out of it. The morning came and went, much like it had the day before. Christian and Erica awoke to the sound of Jamie entering the room, asking them if they were ready for breakfast. They were told Jenner had returned late last night, and if they wished, they could join him in the main hall for breakfast. An hour later, they were downstairs and eating. It was not at all what they thought a formal meal in the mansion would be like, but it was what they had come to expect from Jenner. After all the plates had been brought out, the maids, Miss Fensworth, and Cairnsby all joined them at the table. Otzi declined, saying he wanted to clean up in the kitchen and eat alone, which Christian and Eric had learned was quite normal. Christian picked at the cinnamon raspberry waffle for a bit before looking over to Jenner. So, what do you think we should do first? Christian asked. The maids and staff looked at Christian, then to Jenner, unsure by the vague question, but he knew. Actually, that is the reason for my absence most of yesterday. I've already been laying the groundwork. It seems I had the misfortune of employing someone with less than great morals. Miss Fensworth looked at Jenner with an arched eyebrow. No, no, I assure you, Miss Madeline, even by my standards. Jenner said, which sent a ripple of laughter through the table. He then went on to recount the events of the previous night. He filled them in on where he had gone and that they had a new guest. A guest that was not free to walk about or leave her room. Christian wanted to know when they were to leave to go after this Malcolm fellow. He was very eager, so it took Jenner a little longer than he thought to curtail the boy's drive. Well, first I have to find out what he looks like, figure out what places this Malcolm frequents, and then see what kind of connections he has with the various factions in the city's underbelly. Well, why not just lock him up, look him up in one of those books of yours? Gregory asked, chewing on a strip of bacon. I think you overestimate the book. It's all good and well, me having information on those I employ and work with, but it's not all-knowing. I gathered the information myself. I've never met this Malcolm fellow before, so he isn't in my book. Yet. What do you want us to do? Christian asked. Jenner drummed his fingers on the table, wondering that himself. Miss Fensworth had not been the most receptive when she learned that Jenner planned to allow Christian to help on this plot for justice, though he tried to assure her it was a simple arrest. She did not seem to care what it was, as whatever it was called seemed to put Christian into harm's way. When he then told her that Erica wanted to help too, 
he thought he was going to be looking for a new head of staff. He could not blame her. The more he thought about it, the crazier it seemed. Why had he agreed to the idea in the first place? He wanted to help the two of them, but already he was seeing how ugly things might become. The fact that he had never heard of this Malcolm fellow was enough to let him know that this was not the man they were looking for. Just another link in the chain of events, like Valerie. How best to spin it. I will need backup. People who aren't known to be in my employ to lay in wait in my carriage while I go on various meetings throughout the city to find this Malcolm. Do you think you could act as cover with that crossbow of yours in the carriage, keeping an eye on Erica while I go about these meetings? He could see the eager desire plain on the boy's face, but also saw an unsure look glance across Cairnsby's features and a lot worse for Madeline's. Damn it all, he thought. What am I getting this boy into? He looked down at the table, resting his face against his hand, shaking his head, as if to wake up from some dream. Christian was just voicing his agreement when an idea occurred to Jenner. Christian, my good man, how good of a shot are you with that crossbow of yours? The boy looked perplexed, then thoughtful. I've shot plenty of targets in the yard at the watch. Any moving targets? Uh, no. Any living targets? What, you mean like people? Christian said. Well, they count, but I was thinking more like small game. Deer, boar, anything like that. Uh, no. Have you ever shot at a stationary target while you were moving? No. Jenner thought for a moment, then figured hell. Well, why not? Ever pick up a sword? Uh, yes, I have. Were you any good with it? I... no, not really. Good with any hand-to-hand -hand weapon? Uh, no. Have you ever worn armor? No. Jenner looked over to Erica, who once she realized what he wanted to know, she shook her head side to side, offering no signs of resistance. I am not scared, Christian said, feeling like he was losing a battle he had not realized he was in. Do you know the story of the Duke of New Darkon, Christian? Jenner asked, interrupting him. Uh, no, never heard of him. Before he was a duke, he was a wagon driver. His life was simple, and he had a fiancé he loved and a job he enjoyed. In fact, he was set to take over the trade route when his master retired the next year. However, he had enemies, though he didn't realize it. His master's son, who thought he should be inheriting his father's trade, and the duke's best friend, who was madly in love with the fiancé. So, the two men hatched a plan framing the duke for a crime he didn't commit. They had him imprisoned for life. Now, while he was in prison, the duke reflected on all that had happened to him, and he realized that while he had been wronged, had he been more aware or more skilled, he could have prevented all of it from happening, him, happening to him. But because he had led a fairly normal existence, he was unprepared when an abnormal situation came calling. Now, the Duke eventually breaks out of the prison and sets about training himself for the day to make things right again. Jenner paused, letting the words sink in. He had skewed the tale to suit his needs, as it was a more a tale of revenge than justice, but it would serve his purpose well enough. Now, while my wealth isn't immeasurable, and I'm not suggesting you spend the next 20 years of your life training, I think you could become much more than you are now. This is not a game we're playing, and if I were to allow you and Erica to help, in whatever capacity, it would be a grave error on my part to let you do it as you are now. And I have no intentions of seeing either of you in the grave, he added, trying to keep a delicate balance of seriousness and brevity. I, I see what you are saying, Christian said after a minute. But this Malcolm is just one man. One man who works for another man, Christian. This man is just a link. A link in a chain that we have no idea how long it spans or how many directions it branches off in. And they're too young, Miss Fensworth added. She looked at Jenner and then to Christian and Erica. 
Uh, actually no younger than when I had my first taste of danger, Jenna responded. How old was I when I fended off those six boys in grammar school? Nine, sir. And when we were accosted coming home from the market that one day and I fought off that ruffian with nothing more than a boot knife and a baguette? Madeline sighed. Eleven, if I recall correctly, sir. And when I helped slay the great green worm Frelizenicor? This time Madeline rolled her eyes a bit before responding. Fifteen, sir. Madeline had always been of the mind that they had not so much slain a dragon as come across a worm deep in hibernation, fat for months of gorging itself on the forest deer. So you see, my two protégés, I do not think it would be unwise to engross the two of you in some training, he said, then added, of sorts, as he glanced at Erica, reminding himself that understanding her talents might take some work. And while you two train, I can gather information on what it is we're getting ourselves into. So what do you say? Jenner looked from Erica to Christian, back to Erica. Erica nodded first. While the idea of armed combat did not thrill her, all this talk of brigands and dragons had emboldened her to the cause. At first, Christian wanted to argue. He wanted to get things done. He felt so powerless just sitting around while Jenner did all the work. He wanted to do something. But the more he thought, the more he realized Jenner was right. What would his dad have said if he had told him he was planning to charge into a dangerous situation with little knowledge and even less preparation? In fact, what would he himself have told anyone who'd come to him, telling him they planned on doing what he now wanted to do? He would have thought they were crazy, being so brash and impatient. No, it made sense. He had been thinking like a fool these past few days. Christian nodded. You are right. Right now we would do no more than hinder you. I thought you were trying to keep us out of it while you went on while you went out this last day, but you were right in doing so. Christian sighed a little. While he still agreed, it did not make it any easier. Excellent, Jenner said, sitting back, looking to Cairnsby and Madeline, the first of whom nodded, and the second who, at least, did not show any signs of displeasure. Now, keep in mind, the lessons you have to learn will be hard. It's, in fact, it's my hope that they are more difficult than anything we're going to come up against out in the wild. So, with that in mind, let us enjoy the day, have a little fun, and we can begin in earnest tomorrow. Christian and Erica nodded. They all finished breakfast. The maids were chattering away as they cleared the table, happy that their guests would be staying. Jenner excused himself, saying he needed to go over the books and make preparations for the building of a new theater. When he exited, he was not surprised to see Mrs. Fensworth following after him in good time. He left the door open while he entered his study. By the time he sat down in his chair, he heard the familiar footsteps enter and stop. He smiled, looking up, seeing the happy, joyous face he expected to see, minus the happy and joy. What are you playing at? I'm not. He cut off any forthcoming response. Honestly, I'm not. Look, I realize I may have promised too much originally, but you know I'm right. I can help them. I can teach them things. Things they'll learn and be able to use for the rest of their lives. Before, yes, I know, it was a little silly. Rash, even. An impetuous man doing impetuous things. <sighs> Just, they're so young, she said. Not so young, he reminded her. I suppose not, she said after a few minutes, looking at a bookshelf with a painting of a younger Mrs. Fensworth, standing beside Mr. and Mrs. Repulsed and their young son. Oh, listen to me. I sound like some worried, frazzled mother, she said after a moment, regaining her composure. I know, that's why I keep you around, Jenner said, getting up, coming over to stand next to her, looking at the picture. Madeline, I dare say you're a better mother than my real one. You've done wonderfully with Jamie and Rachel and Melanie, and one day I'm sure they'll grow into amazing ladies. But you and I both know those aren't the roads that Christian and Erica are going to walk down. 
Erica maybe, if the choice was in her hands. But it's not, whether you believe me or not. And Christian? Have you listened to the boy? He has the kind of inquisitive and calculating mind that searches out trouble. He had the watch and his father to channel that, but now he has neither one. He told me himself that he couldn't go to the watch, not with his father's legacy. He wants to strike out on his own. To do what? Madeline asked. Who knows, Jenner said. But regardless, better he has us to fall back on, whatever he does. Wow, you really... How long did you work on that speech? Madeline said. Most of the morning. Why, does it sound too rehearsed? A smidge. Jenner smiled, letting a little chuckle escape his lips. Listen, Jenner, for as high-strung as I get around these kids, I know you mean well. And while I still believe you aren't doing the best of things for them, I do believe you're doing the right things for them. Thank you, Madeline. That means a lot to me. At that moment, there came a knock at the door, followed by a gruff voice being cleared. Yes, Gregory, by all means, enter, Jenner replied. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, Jenner, Gregory said, stepping into the room. And things went as you'd hoped, sir. The watch is willing to accommodate. So they didn't think anything amiss? No, I told them what you said, and they thought it made sense enough, I reckon. Excellent. Let me inform our guest. If you'll excuse me, Mrs. Fensworth, Jenner said, striding past Gregory, going out and down the hall. She turned to look at Gregory, who shrugged and said, Something to do with that theater, dame. <clears throat> You're crazy if you think you can keep me locked up in this cage of yours while you train two little brats how to take care of themselves. Valerie spit the words out at Jenner, throwing a candelabra across the room, ricocheting off a barred window and spinning across the floor, the flames going out as the wax spilled across the carpet. <clears throat> now why couldn't you perform for me like that on stage? Jenner said, looking at the path of destruction caused by the candelabra. Damn him, she thought. It was his constant flippancy that drove her nuts. Relax, Val. I have no intention of keeping you locked up here while I train the two of them. Besides, I think the neighbors would begin to talk. What with your incessant yelling and whining, the maids say you're impossible. He had just told her of his plans, seeing how she would react, which had not surprised him. <clears throat> so what would you say to a long, glorious stay at the king's prison in Delm's Glade? Valerie just looked at him. He could see the curiosity in her eyes. Listen, Val, I know you don't want to be here. I probably want you here less than you want to be. So I've arranged to have you kept at King's Prison. King's Prison was so named for the level of nobility that were imprisoned there. Once in a sane asylum, it had taken on a bit of notoriety as the place where the rich went to rot. It was still a prison through and through, but it was a nice prison as prisons went. A prison where a woman with a body as attractive as Valerie's would want to end up. She was being charged with multiple murder counts and would hang from the gallows, but that didn't mean her weight needed to be miserable. In King's Prison, at least her stay would be safe in comparison. What do I have to do in exchange? she asked, hopeful but untrusting. That's the best part, Valerie. Nothing. You don't have to do anything beyond what you've already agreed to. You're going to arrange a meeting for me with this Malcolm fellow, and then you're going to disappear. Afterwards, you won't be my problem anymore. She nodded, the rebellious nature she felt quelled by the reality of going to prison. So, going to avenge all those deaths on your own? Valerie, tell me that Malcolm isn't a small fish in a pond among ponds. She gave a signal of acquiescence. Jenner nodded, but it wasn't enough. He knew that he would really be relying on her sometime soon. Malcolm could not know why the meeting was happening or who Jenner really was. He would be disguised, but one errant decision on Valerie's part could cause him a world of trouble. Although she seemed relieved at the idea of going to King's prison, 
she would be more relieved if she did not go to jail at all, and in the middle of the meeting would be the best time to save her skin. No, he needed to be positive she was on the same page as him. Do you know who the Villacuars are? Jenner asked. I think so. Aren't they that crazy bunch of rich loons that live over in the East End? Valerie ventured, caught off guard by the change in conversation. <clears throat> yes, very crazy. The kind of crazy that only obscene amounts of wealth and inbreeding can produce. <clears throat> Mr. Villacor's prize-winning hound had been left outside on winter night and froze to death during a storm. <clears throat> he stripped his houndsman naked, chained him to the kennel outside the next night, and he didn't fare any better. Miss Villacour said she caught one of her handmaids eyeing her husband, so she cut her eyes out. Herself. <clears throat> yes, yes, and they have some fairy son who likes to wear women's dresses and enjoys men's company, Valerie added, laughing. Jenner did not join in. Yes, well, their fairy son was in attendance the night of the fire and was apparently dressed in the feminine persuasion at the time. Valerie looked at him, an expression that went from puzzled to terrified in the span of a few seconds. That's right, Valerie. Their only son was burned to death that night. They don't know about you. Jenner walked forward, taking her chin in his hand and looking in her face. They don't know about you. But if you try to screw me on this meeting, if you think you can run or it's the right time to flee, they will know. It's been arranged. Something happens to me between now and when you go to jail, they'll know. I'll deliver you myself if it's within my capacity. I imagine death would be the least of your worries. Jenner, I, I wouldn't, she quivered. Spare me, Valerie. Mark my words. You have been warned. Jenner finished, leaving the room, hearing the sniffles and quavering voice break down into tears. He closed the door behind him and sighed. Sometimes he hated himself. Hello, and thank you for listening to the World of Grey podcast. For any questions about the podcast, or the books in general, email me at podcast at josephporthos.com. My two books, Fallen Throne and Dark Halo, are available for download on the Amazon Kindle store for the low price of $3 apiece. I don't output a ton of updates, but when I do release one, you can find it on Facebook at Joseph Porthos, or on my website located at josephporthos.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter, and I look forward to you tuning in again next time. This is Joseph Porthos, signing off.